can you believe um, we've read through two missionary journeys of Paul? <laughs> you know, you've kind of understood like Paul went on four famous missionary journeys. We've actually gone through two of them. And verse 23 is the start of the third one. And after the third, the fourth one is his way uh, to Rome. So verse 23. And having spent some time there, where is there? That's the city of Antioch. That was his hub, the sending church, his home church. And we finished off the second missionary journey last week talking about how he made his way back to Antioch, to Syria. And the start of this verse says he spent some time there. I mean, for good reason. He's had a long journey and he spends time with his family, uh, friends, people who uh, he worships with at that church. And so having spent some time there, <laughs> as the nature of Paul, he couldn't stay there. He departed and he passed successively through the, reg uh, the Galatian region and, and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. We'll stop there. Okay, this is the map that I've shown you which was the second missionary journey, right? That's Antioch in Syria. That was the sending church. That was his home church. And he went through uh, that region there of, you know, Derbe, Lystra, Iconium, and Pisidian Antioch. This was the first missionary journey. And the second missionary journey started by him going to that same region and then traveling uh, to Macedonia and going to Athens and Greece, right? And what we saw on that second journey, that Paul wanted to go to the regions of Galatia, Phrygia, that he wanted to go to Asia Minor, and he also wanted to go to Bithynia. But as we read some weeks ago, that God closed the door. It says it was forbidden of him to go into these regions. So it says he passed straight through there, and he went to the city of Troas. And from Troas, he got that vision, the Macedonian vision. And then he went to Philippi, and then he did all of his ministry there, Thessalonica, Berea, and the good stuff over there. And so that second missionary journey, we saw him go from this region here of Lystra, Derbe, Iconium, straight through, passing by Asia Minor, Bithynia, and going into Macedonia. God said no twice to him, as we talked about. And that was the message about closed doors and greater opportunities. God closed the doors there. He says, I give you the continent of Europe now. Go into Macedonia. But on this third journey, what we see is that God now says yes to that closed-off door on the second journey. And it's just basically in one verse that we read. Maybe if you would read this on your own, you'd simply pass by this verse and you wouldn't think anything of it. Probably, right? Alright, it says he passed successively through the regions of Galatia and Phrygia. Nothing so significant. But if you've been reading along as we've been going through the, the book of Acts, you have to stop here. You have to. Because this is the very door that was shut by God. Now suddenly it's open and Paul is preaching the gospel, strengthening the disciples in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. Okay. During that message of uh, closed doors and greater opportunities. As a recap, I kind of shared four 
significant things in that message. And I, the first thing that I, I shared as a somewhat of a point is we don't have to have life figured out, right? So Paul, he's wanting to go there. God says no, and he goes there and he sees a vision and he goes to another place. And uh, it's good to have a plan in life, but a lot of the times it's all right to not have life figured out. It's fluid, right? It's not rigid. That brittleness leads to disappointment. So we need to be flexible in life especially when we follow God. Planning is great, necessary, but there is a sense in following God that we need to have peace in the midst of not knowing. Another thing that I said to you is that God leads by both closing and opening doors. Now don't we think when God leads us, we normally kind of uh, say God leads us and we think of it in the realm of opening doors not by closing doors, because th that leads to somewhat of a disappointment in our hearts. And so when we think of God leading us, we think of how He opens doors, not how He closes them. But we need to include both. Right? A lot of times we interpret closed doors as spiritual warfare, the enemy doing this in our lives. When God opens a door, that's the opportunity, the good stuff. But no, God leads by both closing and opening. Right? That's an important realization to have because this leads to peace even though it's a closed door because we recognize God is doing it. Right? That's a, a very important realization. And that kind of leads to the third thing, that God can direct us away from things we normally consider good. For Paul, he wanted to preach the gospel in Asia Minor, in Bithynia, but God said no. Now that's a good thing to preach the gospel there, but God closed the door. And there's a, a lot of things in our lives that we can consider good for us, for God's kingdom, right? People being edified, the church being strengthened. We can think of a lot of good things that can happen to us, but God can also lead us away from that, even though I consider it good. Okay? And another thing is just to keep on moving, just to keep moving towards those greater opportunities, right? To not stop, not get hung up on that door, you know, especially, I wanted that door, right? Why was that door closed? And we get hung up on it, we, we just kind of wait by that, that door frame, and we're like, ah, oh, will it ever open? And we're just kind of like shaking at it, right? It's like having a remote that doesn't work, and you just press the button harder. It doesn't help when you press it harder, you know, it's, it's just not going to work that way. And the door is shut, we're just trying to shake it open. Somebody by chance will walk through it, and we'll be able to get in it. And we wait at that closed door. Now there might be moments where God calls us to do that, but more often than not, I think that this is our own pride that leads us to this. So we need to keep on moving, right? And so that's kind of a recap of that message of closed doors, right? But this message is about opening those closed doors. But understanding that those doors can reopen in the future. And so the first point of this message is that no is not never. Right? When God says no and He closes a door to lead us, it does not mean that He will never want us to walk through that doorway again. Right? And for Paul, he's like, yeah, I want to go there and preach the gospel. And he's been called to do this, but God forbids him by the Spirit, slams the door shut. Years pass, remember? He spent a year and a half in Corinth alone. So all of his travels, years have passed, finally made his way back to Antioch. And now on the third journey after departing again, now suddenly he's able to go into the region that was closed off to him and share the gospel, strengthen the church, the disciples. Right? 
So no is not never. Just because God closed the door previously, it does not mean that we should be afraid to revisit that door down the line. Maybe relationships are the same thing. Just because a relationship went sour in the past, let's not be afraid to revisit stuff in the future. Because a lot of the times, as I see it, it's not just about what is right or wrong. It's about the set of circumstances that holds that decision. When the set of circumstances changes, that yes or no, closed or open, the influence, impact, ramification of that changes. And God understands not just the decision, but the environment, the circumstance, what precedes it and what will follow it. And thus, no is not never. You know, I think of some Bible examples. Going to the Old Testament, probably one of the most famous scenes in the Old Testament is the Exodus, right? God's people, Israel, they are living in Egypt. They uh, became uh, slaves in this, in this country. And uh, through the hard hand of taskmasters, they were worked to the ground. Centuries pass in slavery after Joseph dies. Right? And they cry out to God, asking for deliverance, and God hears them. And then he, he raises a man who was banished by the name of Moses. Moses experiences this burning bush on the side of a hill and re receives a call of God to go and deliver his people. Right? Reluctant, yet going, he goes. With a staff in hand and only the voice of God to guide him, he leads his people. Finally, Pharaoh breaks and all of the people in jubilee leave Egypt, plundering it, taking all of the things of value, and they march out of the country. And they're going, a million plus of them, men, women, and children, caravans and animals, they're all going out into the wilderness, and they're like, yeah! Songs of joy are resounding from their lips. And they, they, they come to a juncture and they're pinned between a sea and an army that was now regretful that they had been gone and set free. And God opens this Red Sea, lets them pass on dry ground, and on the other side, before their very eyes, they see their enemy being swallowed up by the waters. I mean, if that is not confirmation that God is giving them a land, I don't know what is. I mean, God says, I give you a land, you're, you're free to go, and I will even take your enemies away from you. And all right, I'm, if I was one of those folks on that exodus, I'd be like, man, I can't wait to see this land. I mean, this has got to be good, right? I mean, that is a confirmation that God's got some good stuff in store. But after this, they're like, wait, okay, they start, they're going, and they're like, wait, this kind of, they're, going in circles, they, they stay at a, on the base of a mountain, they, and all of a sudden those weeks, months, years are passing, and wait a minute, what's going on? Why aren't we yet kind of like building our houses? Why are we still living uh, under the skins of these animals in these makeshift tents? They're not able to, to lay down farms and provide for themselves. They don't have permanent rooting yet. They're just wandering, it says, not for five years or ten years, but for 40 years. <laughs> like, get yourself in that environment for a moment. You're freed, yes! Red Sea, yes! Egyptians die, yes! Our land, yes! And well, 
what happened to all those yeses? Suddenly the doors that were just opening in front of us, and it just slams in front. And we're like, why can't we get in this one? And it's not like, you know, I, I wasted a year in that dry desert. We're talking 40 years, four decades past. And it's a no. Now that's a big no. That's a big door being shut. Like, uh, there'd be a lot of grumblings, and there were a lot of grumblings. And let's not just take the nation of Israel for a second. Let's look at Moses, the leader. Time passes, you know, they, they ask for this and they ask for that. And Moses goes to God and says, the people are saying this. And he goes back to the people and he relays that or gives that. Providing uh, bread and, and, and meat through quail and doing all of these miracles by God. And Numbers 20 records for us uh, an instance. And the people are grumbling again. They don't have any water to drink. And they go to Moses and he says, Why did you lead us out of Egypt to die with our beasts here in the wilderness? And we need water. And so Moses goes to God. They need water. And so God goes, Okay, Moses, I want you to go to that rock and I want you to speak to it. And then water is going to come out. So Moses looks out at the people and it says kind of in anger. He strikes the rock and water comes out. And there was something about that situation that displeased God. Because God goes then to Abraham, I mean, to Moses, and He says, because you struck it and didn't speak to it, you're not allowed to enter it anymore. <laughs> I mean, like, you, you, gotta, you gotta get, the, this is like somewhat comical, yet like, uh, not so comical. This is hard. If you were Moses, you'd be like stomping your feet, throwing a, a, a pity party, and you'd be like angry. Like, like, I led everybody out of here. I dealt with all of their complaints, and I did all of this in hopes of getting to that promised land. And now, because I hit it and didn't speak to it, you're saying, I can't get there? And the door shuts. That's disappointment, man. But in that moment where it's like locked and you can't even get in. There's no way around. It's like, what do, what do we do? But what we realize is that God wasn't going to always say no to Israel. Because a successive generation took the place of the older one. A new leader in Joshua arose. I'll read for you passage of scripture in Joshua, probably familiar to you. In Joshua chapter 1, just the first couple of verses, it says this, Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, Cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. You got to catch that. Just as I spoke to Moses. This is the same promise. This isn't a new promise then. So the promise that God gave to Moses is being fulfilled now in a new generation with a new leader. 
So essentially, it's not a different door. It's the same door. That door that was slammed shut for the previous leader and people is now being flung wide open for Joshua. And God is saying, walk in. I'm going to give it to you. Just like I spoke to Moses. This is a door that was slammed tight, now being flung open. And I think we can say the same for like David and Solomon in the Old Testament. For those of you who will be in house church this week, you'll have a chance to read a couple of passages regarding that father-son duo. David wanted to build a temple for God. <laughs> he dedicated like equivalent of billions of dollars in modern day money towards the building of this temple. And at one point in David's later life, God says, um, David, I know you want to do this, but I'm not going to let you do it. You've got too much blood on your hands. You've just been a man of war, fighting all these years. So you're not, I, I know you want to, but I'm going to shut the door for you. But I'll let you know something, your, your kid, your son, he'll do it. And Solomon, a king of peace, who reigned over an empire in peace, was the one who built that temple. And there's some great passages you'll read. You'll find it in the back of your sermon outlines on the house church guide. You'll see those passages. Take a read through those passages this week. We see something similar there. And so I hope this kind of reflects and, and sheds light on maybe some of the circumstances you might be going through. Do you feel as though you're in the moment of joy of exodus? in the expectation of crossing the Red Sea and now waiting for the goodness that's before you. Slightly confused and in doubt, wondering why you're having to wait so long in the wilderness. Hurt, maybe bitter, for now being forbidden to receive something that you thought was always going to be yours by God. Like, how does that parallel to your circumstance? And what I can say is this, no is not never. For positions, people, relationships, circumstances, no is not never. I can't guarantee that it will be a yes in whatever you're hoping for, but what I do know is that no is not never. And I hope that you can apply that to the situations of your life. Second is this, God is always preparing the soil. And this is the bowl or the circumstance that I'm talking about, where the yes and the no actually take place. That it's a yes decision, it's a no decision. That the, the, the platform on which these decisions are growing, that's the soil that God is always tilling and preparing. That He's always at work even when we don't see Him doing it. That He's doing something. Okay? And this is where timing is essential, imperative. An understanding and an acceptance of God's timing. Right? Because I wrote for you this blank, right? That wisdom is doing the right thing at the right time. Right? It's not just the right thing. It's like, I, I did it right. right. You might have done it right, but it was just the wrong time. Right? Maybe relationships can kind of fall into this category. Like, you're perfect for each other, but it just wasn't the right season. Right? The job was perfect for you, but just somehow, I don't know, it just didn't work out. Right? And so there are a lot of good things that can happen 
but timing is key. That was for Paul in preaching the gospel in Galatia and Phrygia, right? Timing. It was the right activity, but the timing wasn't right. Have you ever met somebody that just didn't understand this? Like they always said the right things, but they never got the right timing. <laughs> you know, like timing is essential, essential. Not just about what's right. Timing. Can I say this too? Plant in the spring. What do I mean? Let's not waste energy trying to plant in a winter season. Just like farming has seasons, so does life. Right? And like the door is slammed and I'm like just spinning my wheels just trying to force it to happen. And it's clearly winter. God clearly said, no, it's shut. And yet I'm still just trying to create some fruit here. I, I want to say plant in the spring. Plant in the spring. Because when we're planting in winter, that's, that's not only a bad recognition of our environment and circumstance. There's something wrong, prideful going on on the inside, in whatever this is. And so Paul, third journey, stays in Antioch for a little bit, and now he's off, and he's going back into Asia Minor now, and he's like preaching the gospel, and he's like, yeah, okay. Not a lot is said there, but I think it's tremendously significant. Let's praise team. As you guys come back, I'll finish with two statements. First is this. <laughs> stop being stubborn. Can I just say that like straight up? Like, stop being stubborn. And you know when you are, right? Like, you know when it's you. It's all about you, this decision, right? And it's not about like a true peace and wading through that. It's like, no, I wanted it. Like, it's about me. I'm upset about this. This is when we need to just, we need to let it go. And when we know it's our stubbornness that's hanging on, we need to ask God for humility, for peace and joy, for a true sense of patience, to wait for when that door will open, when God opens it in time. And secondly, remember that God closes and opens doors on purpose. On purpose. For a reason. Amen.